Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now, here's Connie. podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, your host. We've been doing this podcast for about three or four years now. It just keeps going and going and going like the Energizer little bunny. (laughs) And I hope you've enjoyed it. I have certainly enjoyed it. And the people that I have brought on the podcast, or I should say have come to me through this podcast, have so graced my life and brought such value and information and it seems like the information comes at just the right time. I can't even begin to tell you how many people have inspired me and healed me and offered information that has uh, enhanced my life in so many ways. So I'm very grateful for the platform of this podcast and I'm very grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening. And today on the podcast, I have a special guest to talk about something that is important for all of us. It's really for everybody listening, but also if you're a doctor, a nurse, a therapist, a home health aide, or for any of us who are caring for our loved ones. And at any given time, uh, most of us will have the opportunity to care for a loved one during the course of our lives. And You know, sometimes in our culture, that is not looked at um, in a positive light. And we're going to reframe that on this podcast today with Diane Gubit. She's an occupational therapist. She's been in practice for more than 28 years. And she uses a variety of modalities in her practice. And I love this. She uses Reiki therapeutic massage, and spiritual counseling. And the cool thing about Diane is she also has a PhD in holistic theology. So I'm going to talk about that. Thank you, Diane, so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I know you have such a great story. You you have done so much, and I know you. We've we've had conversations about your work as an occupational therapist and how passionate you are about that, and I'm sure that will come through in the podcast. But I want to hear a little bit about your story uh, because it really involves this holistic view of well, first started out with care, caring for yourself, and how that broadened into learning to care for others. So maybe you can talk about your story a little bit. Okay. Um, Well, initially, I was a patient. Um, I had a neck injury when I was 18. And my father, as I was getting therapy with tears running down my cheeks, he said, why don't you become a therapist? And I loved science and I loved sports. So I didn't have the use of my right arm. and, um, And the physical therapist said, oh, there's no way you'd ever be strong enough to be a therapist. So if someone tells me I can't do something... I doubled my efforts or tripled my efforts (laughs) to prove them wrong. Um, So I found occupational therapy, and it suited my knees beautifully because it helps you adapt to whatever changes you've had in your life, and it helps you achieve your goals, maybe not from A to B, but it, it helps you find a different way of getting the job done. So that really resonated with me because I couldn't play the piano anymore. I couldn't open the door. And, um, but slowly my arm got better and I graduated and I also, um, found that I had a digestive, um, disease and there was, they said, there's no cure, there's nothing they can do. And it was Crohn's disease. So I settled in for a life of being really, really sick and in and out of hospitals. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was very, very fortunate that one day I um, learned about how to combine my food properly, which led me on a quest to study um, all different types of of health and nutrition and healing practices. So I got a master's in natural health, and I ended up not needing my medicine, so it's been, knock on wood, 27 years without any Crohn's medicine, and I'm healthy. Um, And it really was a personal quest, and it made me realize that sometimes we're told um, by people who really believe what they're saying, 
is that a limitation. This will never, you won't, you'll never be better. And then we believe it Mm -hmm. and we buy into it. But I was really lucky that I had some stop gaps along the way that showed me, whoa, if I just eat a little differently, I don't need my medicine. And I actually forgot to take my medicine one day. And that was the hope. And I was like, ah, maybe, maybe I can prove them wrong. So, um, so that's how I did, got on that, on that path. So you took the traditional route and then it broadened out into yeah. this more holistic way of looking at things because of your own situation, which right. is, you know, um, I've said this in the past, uh, I think Sean Korn, the yogi, she always says the best healers are the wounded healers. So we take our wounds and we, we create healing for ourselves and then we are fill our cup runneth over and we have more to share so then you went on you seem to be a perpetual student you went on and got your phd in holistic theology now how did that come about and maybe talk about your spiritual background a little bit because that's part of the holistic picture oh sure um well my thesis with my um master's degree was all about the power of prayer Mm-hmm. And and there was all these different story, uh, studies on the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. And some people could think of it as power of positive thinking, power of intention. Um, and I found it so fascinating. So when I finished my thesis, the next step was, and I was always very interested in religion and spirituality. Um, by this point, I was probably a Reiki 1 or a Reiki 2 and um, so spirituality was a big part of my life. I just didn't have a name for it. I was raised Catholic, but mm-hmm. um, I won't go into all that. <laughs> um, I, I was very interested in different religions. And so I found um, this school and I thought, oh, holistic theology. That sounds good. I want to learn about all different religions. And it was fantastic and it really helped me um my focus was on grief counseling and um and it really helped me incorporate and see how I do incorporate spirituality and in occupational therapy so much so that my dissertation was all about the sacredness of providing care for people I love that and thank you and um and just really having it be an honor when you're helping somebody toilet themselves Mm -hmm. versus a burden versus being disgusted by it Mm -hmm. to see that this is a person that if they could they would and they can't and you have that honor of being in that space with them and providing it in a loving way which can really help them heal in other ways. Beautiful, beautiful. So one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on this podcast, so Happy Healthy You, the podcast is all about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. So you really bring all these elements to the table. You have your occupational therapy, your Reiki, your your ministry. So I guess we can call it that, right? And your experience with the power of prayer and healing from grief. So this is a, a beautiful uh, little marriage here we have so so let's talk about um this sacred art of care caregiving because now with our population aging with the baby boomers getting older um, many of us are caring for our parents and i personally had a child with a um uh, a health problem that um ended in her death and so i i traveled that route took care of her for many years so i know I know what it's like to care for um, not so much my parents yet, but my child. And that was totally a labor of love and a sacred. Um, I knew that every moment with her was sacred. I could just feel it in my heart. And so, um, yeah, I I really like this conversation. So let's talk a little bit about um, why it's important to reframe this idea of caregiving in this culture. Well, I, I, it's also difficult because there's many cultures mm-hmm. that come in to our country to help us with caring for our, our elderly. And, and that can be a difficult bridge to gap. And, but also, even when you're caring for your own family, it can be hard because there's things that you need to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it as, oh, this is such an in- imposition. Mm-hmm. When... When you're caring for somebody that you have a wonderful relationship for, with, 
it can be a labor of love, as you say, and it also can be incredibly exhausting and emotionally draining because it is so frightening to see somebody you love not doing everything that you want them to be able to do and you want to honor them and do it in the most respectful way possible. The way I look at occupational therapy is we we figure out what somebody can do for themselves, even if it's the least little bit, if it's pulling the cover up, if it's buttoning one button, mm-hmm. and providing that opportunity for them to do, but not to struggle, and then stepping in when they can't do it anymore. And it takes time to figure out what what is of value to that person. Maybe it doesn't matter to them if you dress them. Maybe what's really important to them is that they can walk to their kitchen table and they can pick up their own fork and feed themselves. Family has more of an opportunity to do that because you're with them and you've lived with them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, as a, you've known them for your life. And in hospitals and in nursing homes and in rehab settings, they don't have the the time and the history and so and they are pressed they're pressed by their time limit of being there they're pressed by their responsibility and that's when I feel if they before they walk into a person's room or before they touch somebody or when they get their list of patients to take a deep breath and and remember that they're people and and to look at them, if they can't look at them other than, oh my gosh, I have so much to do today, to try to say, this is someone's mom, this is someone's dad, this, is, this could be my mom. And, and to try to put yourself in that position of making it more of a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And, and being really mindful of how you get your supplies together and how you approach the person. And just by slowing down your speech. And by slowing down what you're doing will prevent spills and, and accidents and it will help the person cooperate with you much better. So in that way, it'll make their day, and I say sacred, but it, it'll make their day so much more valuable. It'll make them, when they wake up in the morning, realize how deeply important what they're doing is. That nobody wants somebody else to wipe their bottom for them and that they have that opportunity to do it in such an inc- a loving way, a gentle way, a soothing way, a calming way carries over in such a deep level throughout that person's whole day. And it's so personal. So I feel that that is a way that the caregivers family and in you know strangers helping people in the hospital or nursing homes can help their job be more meaningful Mm -hmm. so it's that communication that that relationship that you establish um based on eye contact and um touch and and trust and mutual respect that that caregiver can can really enhance the experience for both the patient and the caregiver. Absolutely. So, which makes it sacred. That's what makes yeah. it sacred. It's that... Because we're humans to connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good. And, there, and it's such an opportunity. I also want to say that caregivers, they do need to be careful with themselves. They mm-hmm. need to care for themselves. So let's talk about caregiver burnout in the hospital setting. So for doctors and nurses, if you're uh, working in the, in a professional setting and you're dealing with patients, I mean, just taking the time to establish, like we said, that relationship with the patient and being mindful, like you said, taking some breaths before you come in the room. What are some other ideas for sort of nurturing ourselves before coming into contact with the patients? What do you do, say, before you are working with a patient? Um, What I do usually is I I visit people in their homes. So I'm in my car, and I usually, I don't listen to 
the radio when I'm about 10 minutes away and I do take some deep breaths and I actually say a prayer that I will be open to receive whatever information, whatever I need to help this person and that I will be in the moment with them and that I will be fully present and available. And that is, that's what I do to prepare before I knock on someone's door. And my day is, is very, um, it can be really tight. I mean, just being in a car and being in traffic and all that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and trying to get to somebody's house right on time and then getting lost. And, um, so there's, there's stress that I need to be aware of that I go through before I go to a person's house. So I really try um, to have healthy foods in my, you know, as I eat throughout the day, get enough water, um, not have a lot of caffeine because I need to be really calm um, in some situations. You don't know what you're going to walk into sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, those things really help me a great deal to get really it helps me get focused and grounded and um, mindful on what I'm going to do next. And then I knock on the door. Yeah. And what's your assessment of the amount of mindfulness that's going on in hospital settings with doctors and nurses and even administrative people in hospitals are so, so busy and so overworked? Are, are you sensing that there's a a level of mindfulness that's happening nowadays. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I think I think it, and it doesn't take that much time to do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel that we are we have this huge machine that is our medical, uh, the hospitals. It's this huge machine that people are input into the machine. Mm-hmm. And in a hospital, you're you know you're either taken. To a rehab center or a, a subacute or home, it's it's this factory sometimes, and it is something that if you you can get caught up in in the flow of how quickly you're supposed to be doing things. Mm-hmm. Truly, I have met people that are mindful, that are in the moment, that are um, able to connect and get that eye contact, and that is huge the connection that you can get with your doctor or your nurse or your caregiver on a human to human level has been proven time and time again to help the healing process Mm, absolutely when i visit people in their homes and they say oh you're looking at me and you're not looking at your computer what a breath of fresh air with biting sarcasm because they don't feel that they are people anymore. And the doctors or nurses, or they, we have substituted face-to-face for getting all the data. We're a very data-driven society. Mm-hmm. Get all the data, and I understand that that's important. But there should be maybe a little pop-up on the computer screen that say, look at your patient now. <laughs> <laughs> there's no bedside uh, manner anymore, yeah, I guess. It, yeah. there, it, there's some that are... When you hear about a doctor or a nurse or a caregiver right. that, that did give that little extra touch, and it doesn't take that much time, and it will make your day so much better because you're being fed. Mm-hmm. When you give to somebody, you are given back in return 10 yeah. times more right. than you could ever give somebody. And their gratitude and their health being improved and knowing that you were a part of that just by a smile or how you're doing today with a little touch. And I think we've, we have forgotten the art of medicine. I think we have forgotten that medicine is, it's, it, it, we need to think about and look at the whole person, not just what is the data spitting out, mm-hmm. that they have a gallbladder or whatever. Right. Um, but... So yeah, I think there there are moments in the day that that everybody can take a breath. Maybe while they're putting on their anti you know the um, anti germal soap you know, hand sanitizer, yeah. and right before they walk into the room to take that that opportunity as they're doing that to take a breath and look at the person and and really be present because they can pick up on a lot of things that way also. Mm, I Medical want to talk about that yeah. in, a, in a little bit. But um, just along those lines, so for those of us 
uh, we've addressed the doctors and the nurses and the hospital workers, but I want to talk about those of us who are accompanying our loved ones in a hospital setting and what we can do to sort of be advocates for them um, to make sure that they are getting the care they need, that sacred care, as much as possible. I mean, if we have a doctor who's just not looking at us and sitting there with the computer, I mean, is there anything we can do as family members or, um, you know, advocates? I really think there is. And I think it begins with kindness. Uh, A lot of people in the medical world are hit really hard with family members and like this went wrong and that went wrong and this went wrong and that went wrong. And how can you do this? And because they're so stressed because Mm -hmm. their loved one is in a situation that they have no control over. Mm -hmm. And this person the doctor, the nurse, whatever, has more control than they do. So I think if we say, I'm, as, as family members, if we go in with, with kindness and see, ask them, how are you doing today? And try to get them to look at you and treat them, you know, the golden rule, treat them the way you want them to treat mm-hmm. your loved one, treat them that way. That I have seen people really transform I've seen caregivers transform because they are pressed they don't have an easy job they have the pressure from above to do what was told to them to do and then something something as simple as something spills you know and then you have a loved one who's angry because this wasn't done for their mother they didn't get the pills on time Mm. to try to have that understanding of they're not against you and to be as loving to them as possible, and I and and to say, hey, you've been working hard. You know, would you like me to get you something? You know, I, I know that when you're in that situation, which I've been with my folks, which I've been with other people that I've loved in in the hospital, it does take energy to go from that. I'm freaking out. Why is things going so badly for my loved one? Why aren't you giving me the answers? to stopping and realizing these are people too and if I push against them they're going to push right back against me I need them on my side mm. and to treat them with kindness as mm-hmm. best you can and it, it, I really have seen people just smile and like come back in and give a little extra pillow you know or because um, their job is really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. We're all people. That's the thing. Exactly. It goes both ways. It, really, it goes both really ways. It really does. It really yeah. does. And when you're not there you want to make sure they're treating your loved one with a, a kind hand. <laughs> okay, so recently I had a situation where my father had a knee replacement surgery, and he he's always been kind of a jock and, you know, athletic and everything, so he's not used to being immobile and... Um, they they took him to rehab after his hospital because it, they wanted him to be in uh, a care setting, a more professional care setting for a couple of days, and he just was so unhappy there. So I said, let's just come home to my house. So uh, we got him a hospital bed, and we set him up. I have a first-floor room, thankfully, and, and it was great. Um, but it was sort of a sudden thing. I had no time to really prepare. We just kind of did it. We said, yeah, let's do it. And my brother, thankfully, also lives close by. My husband helped. And all of us were on the same team. And it, it, was, a, it was a great experience. And so, but I didn't have that whole um, that preparation, and I think a lot of times we don't, to really create the sacred um, space for this healing and a sacred space in my own mind so that I could look at it that way. Um, what are your suggestions for those of us who are giving care to our loved ones in our home um, as far as maintaining our own um, sanity and creating a sacred space for healing or even just for living because some of us will take care of our loved ones un- until their death. So, I think the first thing is ask for help, ask for help, ask for help. It's because, it, like you say, it's going to be spur of the moment, most likely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that when I go into their homes, that's part of what I do also is to make sure that the caregivers are taking care of themselves, that they are getting enough help. And if you don't have a big family, then you go and you, you meet the neighbors. <laughs> you try to get your community to help you as mm. best you can. So a church organization yes. or, or different yeah, you, what are some of the organizations you can well, suggest to reach out well, to? Well, um, 
uh, churches, synagogues, even if you're not a member, um, there are so many different ministries in different churches that are willing to visit with your loved one for a little while. Um, there are respite care workers. There are companions. There is so we live in a very densely populated area with so many people with so many talents that you don't have to go it alone. But if you're you're thrust in, let's say you're thrust into a situation, you got to care for your mom. You have no brothers or sisters, no cousins, nothing. You're in a high rise apartment. You don't know anybody. If you've been doing that for a long time, then that's all you're going to see, and you're you're not going to know that there's all these resources out there. Social workers are excellent at helping you find those resources as well. Okay. Um, but there, so that I think is knowing not to go it alone. Like you had your brother, you had your husband, um, knowing that it isn't just all on your shoulders, and it it really doesn't have to be unless you live like on a deserted island somewhere, um, to really ask for help and accept help, which is a skill. It is very hard to do. It is. It, it's a practice. Yes. 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 And it gets easier over time. I, f- I have found that too, because yeah. I tended to be one who felt like everything... I was the oldest child, so mm-hmm. I always felt like it was all my responsibility, but I'm getting better at that. So, so yeah. And, the net, and going on the heels of that is letting go of it being perfect. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Love perfect. It. it has to be safe. It has to be, you know, the needs that that person needs. But also, mm-hmm. if they're cognizant and they're able, include them. What would make this easier on you? What would you like? Do you want a visit from the priest? Do you want a visit from the, you know, rabbi? Do you want to talk to your old friends from Mahjong group? Do you want to see if we can set up something here that we could do some artwork or something so ask you know ask ask what they want because if they have some control that'll help them mm-hmm. you know do you, would you like some pictures from your house here while you're here temporarily or if it's a permanent thing you know try as much as possible as much as they're cognizant you know cognitively aware have them part of the entire process okay so if the, if yeah I'll, i mean a lot of people are dealing with parents with dementia or alzheimer's and there's uh, it's a progressive thing so you have to constantly be renegotiating yeah. i guess um so yeah that's really good advice um on the heels of that uh i wanted to ask you about as an occupational therapist you are working with um well you work with all different age groups and different uh, levels of um, ability to move, all right? Um, So how do we discern um, how much to do for our loved ones? Like, we don't want to do too much. We don't want to enable them and and keep them stuck. We want to encourage them to continue, hopefully, um, doing for themselves and being independent. So how how do we sort of decide how much to do for them well it, it's a great question and um and sometimes um it and it changes mm-hmm. you know so um initially is see what they can do um give them a choice like okay as an example do you want to wear the blue or the pink shirt today and then give them the shirt and see what they can do and whatever they can do you let them do so if it is just opening their shirt up to put their hand in a little bit and then you help them a little bit, see if they can do a little more. You don't want to get somebody frustrated or feel like, oh, no, you got to do You should be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You want to give them opportunities, just an opportunity to put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, an opportunity to wheel them up to the sink or find a new way of, of, of holding the brush. Um, there's many different adaptive pieces of equipment out there that can help people do things that they, if they have limited motion or strength, they can do. So it's mainly, and also what I ask people is, what do you want to do? Because I asked somebody about cooking, and this woman said, I cooked every meal for the last 60 years, and I'm done. I don't want to. So that's something. Or if you say, boy, would you, you used to enjoy cooking. Would you like to help me? And figuring out a way of getting them to be able to do that. So, again, it goes back to asking. Mm-hmm. If the person is 
severely confused, just providing them with the opportunity and helping them wherever you can, and then giving them a break, letting them figure it out. Because part of figuring it out is will help their their cognitive processing as mm-hmm. well. A lot of times we get really used to this is what they can do, and so we step in and we do it automatically because it's faster. Right. Yeah. So, but that doesn't give them the opportunity to do more than they did yesterday. And I see that a lot. I see a lot of patients that um, they're no longer covered by insurance. They've had a stroke maybe two years ago or, or they've been in a semi-conscious state for two and a half years. And everyone's gotten really used to, this is what we do, this is the routine. And the person can actually do more than they're asking them to do because they're just stepping in and doing it. So it's such a great, great question. So every day, the person seems a little bit more with it or a little bit more up. See if they can do a little more that day. And then that builds on itself, which will help that person feel like they're getting their life back Mm -hmm. a bit. It kind of reminded me of uh, my daughter was in and out of the hospital. Um, Fortunately, we were in Boston, which we, so we went to Boston Children's Hospital. Those doctors there were amazing. Every nurse, they were so dedicated to children and just great examples of mindfulness. I mean, they sat down with each child, got to know them. I remember uh, Megan was my daughter. She uh, had the same birthday as her cardiologist, her pediatric cardiologist. And I loved him so much. But anyway, uh, one day she was in the hospital for a procedure and she had the choice of pancakes or scrambled eggs. And she'd been given very little choice. She had a lot of uh, procedures and she was still, you know, tubed up and, you know, had a lot of, a lot going on in that hospital. And it was very stressful, I'm sure. Um, And so just giving her the opportunity to choose pancakes over was was a, a sort of giving her a sense of a little bit of freedom and, um, yeah. I, I, as you're saying that, I'm I'm just like revisiting that, and it just remi- reminded me of the joy on her face when she's like, oh, "Yes, I'd like pancakes." You know, small <laughs> small things. So that's one thing I would like to add. Maybe you can elaborate on this, like in creating a sacred space for this this. Um, healing work that we're doing with our loved ones, um, it's really important to be grateful for just the smallest things. I mean, even if we get like you you were talking about one of your patients before we got on the podcast who just was able to move just the slightest bit and hadn't had any mobility at all. Um, Just being grateful for that. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because for, for the caregiver as well as the patient to celebrate the small Victories. Yeah, it is. Um, it's something you train yourself to do. Mm-hmm. You train yourself to find whatever is positive, whatever. And as a caregiver, it could be the peace and quiet of the morning before you mm-hmm. step out of bed. It could be the smell of your coffee, and and when it comes to encouraging people to see their improvement. I'm trained to see the smallest pot, little increment, like a twitch of a muscle, will get me cheering mm-hmm. in somebody that has been paralyzed um, from a stroke. Um, and, I mean, a dear friend of mine, um, his wife is like, what is going on in there? And I'm like, There's, he's, he's moving his pinky. And <laughs> it's like so exciting because you know if there's some movement there's going to be more and so gratitude just overflows with me because it is it's so exciting so I'm trained to see that kind and I'm so grateful whenever I do but also if there is a day where your loved one is not as responsive or your patient is not responding to be grateful that at least you were somebody that was loving to them that day. Mm-hmm. That you know that your interaction with them was a loving one. Even if maybe they were not able to respond to you. They weren't conscious at that moment. Yeah. Um, but you know that your touch was a, a soft touch. And that was something... I worked in a burn unit for many years and um, absolutely loved it. It was the most incredible, sacred place I've ever been and I, that's where I learned to see 
the littlest improvement, the littlest flutter, the littlest, and, and to be so grateful for that, that one little area that's healing up, which meant I could point that out to that person and say, the rest of your body's going to do this. And if, if they couldn't hear me or, or do anything, like I said, if I found a patch that was not burned, I knew I could be that soft touch to that, that area. And so it's that it is, I'm, I'm honored and I feel so grateful to be in that position. And that's what makes just every day so fantastic that I get to be with people and to do that. And there's so many uh, situations where rehabilitation is not an overnight, <laughs> you know, uh, in our culture, we're so used to, uh, you know, take a pill yes. and it'll be better. And, and in many instances, it can take months and even years to see any progress. And so patience is really, I mean, it's really something that we can cultivate this sense of um, just being here now, that mm-hmm. mindfulness and not looking too much to the future because that partic- that person who is in need of our care um, can't really go there. They, they have to be present for their healing. What is the best situation for healing? For um, Can you maybe describe like the, the best scenario for a sacred space for healing in a home? I mean, it doesn't have to be like a... a fancy house or, or anything. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but um, get, maybe describe the best scenario for um, helping patients rehabilitate or heal. I feel that for the caregivers to be as joyful as possible, and that goes back to taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I didn't say this earlier, but but the caregivers really need to make sure that they are eating well and sleeping well. And, um, and that's where asking for help can come in so you can get mm-hmm. the sleep and rest you need. And finding joy, which goes to the gratitude. Mm-hmm. You know, that small joys, small little things mean a lot. And the best situation that I've seen is... is is the joy and laughter and being able to um, find humor in situations that are quite tragic. Um, For example, uh, a woman was dying and her daughter was incredibly loving. And before I got there, well, when I got there, they were both on the floor laughing. (laughs) And um, this is like a day before she died. And instead of freaking out, like my mom is on the floor, how am I going to get her? How did up? she get to the floor? Did she, she slid fall? slowly oh, okay. down oh, to the floor because her daughter couldn't keep her up any longer. Mm. And um, and I just sat on the floor with them and we just laughed. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, now how are we going to get you up? Or do you want to get up?" <laughs> and making light, and mm-hmm. you know, because dying is what it, it is sacred. It's it's. It's like a birth. It's, it's all sacred. It's, it's so, if you can make it so that somebody is feeling all of these wonderful feelings, not that I'm depressing everybody and, oh, I want, you know, an ideal situation is genuine laughter, genuine emotion. If you need to cry, you cry. Um, helping the other person the person you're caring for have choices recognizing their uniqueness trying as much as you can with anything they're capable of doing let them do it if they want to do it and um a lightness and a a a a feeling of everything is okay now Mm -hmm. right now you're with me right right now. now you may not be able to talk to me you might not be able to swallow your food or but right now we're together. You can squeeze my hand when I squeeze back. You know, yeah. and it it is letting go of what you thought your future was going to be with this person, or letting go with how you thought your day was going to go, or letting go of what you wanted for this person, and truly 
seeing what is right in front of you and what can you do. Mm. And sometimes just doing nothing and just being. Silence. Yeah. Being, being silent together is very powerful. It really just is. Just being present for someone in the silence. So um, I've seen that in homes. I've mm-hmm. come into homes where the music is playing and and um, you know, they've got mom's favorite perfume on her and... They take her out to see the flowers, and they bring her in. I mean, I've seen ideal situations with... I've seen ideal situations with a rich family, and I've seen ideal situations in a poor family. It's all your attitude and and being present and allowing whatever is to be and not resisting it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, which brings me to resistance. <laughs> That's a perfect segue. Wow. Um, and I have someone in mind here. I have a friend whose mother is very, very difficult. She's taking care of her. Um, what do you recommend for those situations where, I mean, maybe because there is some mental decline, some um, a lot of times people get angry and even violent. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's very difficult to take care of someone like that. What do you recommend? Do you have any, uh, uh, probably all the same thing. Keep it light. Make it, make it, uh, Um, yeah. How do you keep that sacred? Ask for help. help. Yeah. Um, It's, uh, it, because that is very frustrating. Because there have to be boundaries, right? When you start feeling yourself, one, make sure the person is safe. If Mm. you can't keep yourself safe or that person safe, then Mm -hmm. you, you need you know, I don't, you need extra, extra help. But just if it's somebody that has a flare up and maybe once a day, maybe more to try to keep it light, give them choices, but give them just like when there's, um, you know, with toddlers, you give them two choices of things that will be okay. Either when they choose, do you want to eat now, mom, or do you want to eat this sandwich now? You know, I, I, that wasn't a good example, but Trying to give them two choices of things that will be advantageous to them to do. So it's not an either or. It's not a battle of wills. If you start feeling yourself get frustrated, make sure they're safe and you got to get out of there. Punch a pillow, call somebody, sing really loud, whatever it is to get your frustrations out. And to remember, remember that they aren't in control, especially if they have um, cognitive issues. And that a lot of times anger is fear. And so you can also look at the situation as how are they not feeling safe right now? How can I make them feel more safe? And even if they're not able to help make choices, just sit them down. We're doing the list, Mom. Hey, let's go over the list. What do you want me to get at the grocery store? If that's an issue, if that's Mm. something that you never get what I want at the grocery store. Um, Sometimes it can be having them... Um, write down, okay, mom, we did this today and we're going to go to the doctors tomorrow. And if they can read and, okay, we, you see this and having a calendar so that they see it and a schedule. If someone is confused and difficult, having a schedule really helps them feel boundaries and feel safer so they know what's next. Okay. When they're confused or have an emotional disorder or psychiatric disorder, if they have things that they know is going to happen next, it really helps them participate and be more cooperative. And it also helps everybody because if, if you get so stressed out that you need, you, you need some, you get sick and someone has to jump in, then they know exactly what's expected and what comes next. Sometimes if it's a daughter, mother, daughter, or, or you know, parent, child, that's very hard situation. And that's where if you get help and someone comes in and takes that space for you so that they might listen to a stranger. My mm. mom my mom did not listen to me at all. <laughs> she wasn't confused or anything. Yeah, I think a lot of times yeah. you're right. And she listened to another therapist. Yeah. And I'm like, Mom, you paid for my education. Benefit from it. And <laughs> she was just not going to listen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's very common. Yeah, right, right, right. 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 And to also recognize that. It's nothing yeah. personal. It's nothing personal. It's it's not personal to keep saying that to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, try to to remember that because it, it is real. A lot of people have very difficult mm-hmm. situations. And when it gets hard, you you wrote the thesis, the power of prayer. Yes, right. <laughs> so pray. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Definitely. And and just to have a very structured, have a variety of things for them to do. Mm-hmm. And it can be very simple. Okay. Very simple Good. things. I want to talk about the payoff of providing sacred caregiving because we talked about that a little bit also. Um, you have developed this sort of a... Um, extrasensory perception with some of your patients because you have you allow yourself to tune in and and you spend that time prior to working with them tuning in and and you know meditating and praying and being really becoming that vessel that overflows with I think love for which is healing for your patients and it's so beautiful so maybe you can talk about the payoff for the caregiver for those of us providing care just to give us a little extra incentive to on those harder days maybe like what have you experienced personally um i i love how you put that um that just hearing you say that made me so happy because that is truly what i want that is truly what i want to be a vessel for love um and my payoff is that connection and to be able to somebody I have a few patients that are nonverbal and to be able to tune into them and and to pick up on on what they're feeling and then check in with them and say hey do you do you want to lay down right now because they can't tell me Mm -hmm. and have them blink a yes response or, or nudge their body that way. And I'm like, oh, okay. It, the payoff is phenomenal because you, it, it fills you. It, it, it's so hard to put into words, but it is truly the, the best feeling. You just, you know what to do next. And it's not about you. And it's not me, my personality. It is, I've stepped out of the way and I'm, I'm just doing what's the next thing I'm supposed to do. And it is so fulfilling and so soul-filling uh, to know that I've made a connection and that I've helped somebody feel a little bit better. And I've made them reach a little farther because they start to believe in themselves because they're not alone in this whatever their illness is they're not alone and and that's the thing is if when you go when you think about being in a hospital how we all like go oh god that's you know a scary idea you feel so alone and if some one person can make a connection that's a mutual highway there it it isn't just you're expending your energy on somebody if it's a true connection, you're going to get so much more back. And and it really feeds you so that you have more energy through the day, so that you can do more. Because it isn't just, it isn't me. It is, it is just opening up to the energy that is there, the love mm-hmm. that is there. And it's so reciprocal. It's so reciprocal. Yeah. So it, it, it builds. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the way it used to be. I mean, I think we've we've gotten so far away from uh, the way care used to be. You know, with the, with doctors making house calls, which and we're never going to go back to that, probably, right? There's but a few doctors. There's that a are few doctors. House yeah, calls. yeah. But that bedside manner, and then families taking care of families. We're yeah. so spread out, and we have such busy schedules, and things are much more. And if we could just get back to the simplicity of the sacred art of caring for one another, even even if it is just uh, in a simple way, like you said, just mm-hmm. um, providing care. I think it will it will enhance our lives and and make us all happier. And mm-hmm. and in the end, um, you know, the payoff is also um, looking back and saying, "This is what I did for my." my loved one and you know i i'm i'm happy i was with my daughter i could have been working and i you know i was i my biggest fear was that i would not be with her when she died and i was thankfully with her i just wanted to be with her mm-hmm. and that's another gift yeah. that we give not only the person that we're with but ourselves to to sit with them i mean even though there's nothing we can really do and just be with them as they pass on to their next 
big adventure is a gift and um and it's sacred absolutely (laughs) birth is sacred death is sacred life is sacred Mm -hmm. so i love this conversation we could go on and on and on and freaking on but (laughs) but we'll have to do another podcast because we're coming to to the close of this one but i just want to give people some information about getting in touch with you if they are in need of someone or they just want to um maybe uh tap into your expertise about this um where how can they get in touch with you and find out more uh well right now i have a website um that is occupational therapy and reiki.weebly.com and on there has my phone number okay and uh and you can contact me um by my email which is also on okay. there as well. Okay, good. So we'll make sure we post it, and we'll post it on the Happy Healthy You Facebook page, and, and you can post it as well. Thank you so much, right, Diane. It's been such a great conversation to have, and I think it's very topical now with the way the medical system is going and the way our population is aging. So thank you. Oh, and we'll we'll have to come back and talk about more stuff. Oh, I think <laughs> to happy a journey of hope healing and waking up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies the loss of a child it's about love and sadness and being human the nine lessons in back to happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul healing from grief and loss is possible finding joy again is possible back to happy in paperback Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.